lose track of time. Um, I also lose my hair, but I, the, the time bothers me more than the hair, I guess. But the, it's been a long time, and when I first came here, the first thing we did was look at a budget, and rather than just giving and spending and giving and spending and not know where it was going. And this church, the first budget we put together was around $70,000. And over 30% of that was going to missions. And we support a lot of good folks they did at the time and and we've picked up quite a few through the years we have folks in africa todd is and christy are in rome uh we minister we have someone that works full-time on the marshall university campus and the campus of ohio state university um through uh the crew ministry and campus crusades for christ and Calvin Ray and Brian, we've supported um, Evans through the years, their TV ministry and all that they do. Uh, they, And one of our focus was, as pastor, I wanted to make sure that our church was tithing back out of our budget. Uh, I, I think if you're, if you're not, you're not in functioning properly as a New Testament church, and you ought to be giving away at, at least 10% of what you take in rather than just functioning within your own ministry. And my second priority in that was missionaries who were winning the loss to Christ. Uh, whether it's a medical mission or whether it's a, um, I don't care what it is, their primary focus ought to be winning the loss to Christ, even if they're trying to help them medically or or physically or whatever um, because that's the great commission and the folks that we have that we support do that Um, I know Calvin Ray and them had over 1100 and some people saved last year through their outreach ministry and um, I, I, I see what happens at the missions that we support as missionaries in Ironton and Huntington and the people that are there. And one of our goals is to do what we're doing this morning, and that's to have the folks that we support come uh, every time they're in the States or uh, at least we, we, we want to do it every year, but some of them don't come home every year. Uh, but we try to have those folks at Marshall and the missions and, and everybody in at least once a year. Um, so that you get to hear them. And this morning, you are going to be blessed um, to have Todd and Christy Kincaid, and if you all would, come on up here. They are in Rome, in probably one of what we would call the hardest markets in the entire world to reach people with the gospel. You're, first of all, it's, it's inundated with the Catholic Church, and then second, the Muslim population that is there um, is is a hard marketplace, and, and we're aware of that. It, yeah. And so I'm going to give this, and they're just going to do whatever we Thank trust. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's really a pleasure to be with you guys, and um, 
I've been associated with Big Branch Church for many years, actually, uh, even long before you came here, brother, back in the day. But I uh, feel, always feel like uh, we're at home here. I um, have some dear friends here like Wayne and Elsie. My son, our son's here this morning with us too, Michael. But many of you we've known for many years. And um, I don't know if there'll be a Big Branch Corner in heaven. I hope there won't be because we have enough sectarian stuff here on the earth. But if there is, I want to get a reservation because I'm always, you know, I don't know, I just feel free when I come here to worship, and uh, I think, you know, you guys stole my Spotify playlist this morning. Like, those are all my favorite songs, you know, so um, I really appreciated that. So, um, yeah, we are Todd and Christy Kincaid. We're from, we're local people, Procterville and Chesapeake, and uh, we have three children and um, now have been serving the Lord in uh, Rome for uh, over seven years. Uh, this fall, we'll sell celebrate our, well, August, I guess it's not really fall, but um, our 30th anniversary and also 30 years of being uh, in the ministry and majority of that involved in, in missions uh, overseas. And so, um, but we couldn't do what we do, as your pastor said, without um, you guys doing what you do Monday through Friday and, you know, tithing to the church and giving to the budget and all those things. So, what we want to do this morning is kind of walk you through together. We're going to tag team this uh, a presentation, which that's, yeah, there you go. Um, <clears throat> and we want you to just kind of feel and interact on what's happening. And uh, after, afterwards, if you have some questions, you know, we've got to answer those questions. Um, God gave us a vision some years ago that uh, the major cities in Europe are very strategic for reaching the nations. Now, Italy, um, despite what you might think, is not a Christian country. Um, actually, although I do believe some people, we were talking about this before, some people in the Catholic Church know the Lord. Uh, by and large, what they teach is very far from what the gospel uh, and the scriptures is. And so less than uh, 1% of the population in Italy is classified as evangelical. There are four times as many churches in Ohio, uh, evangelical churches, than there are in Italy. And we have 60, more than 60 million people in, in Italy. So it's largely unreached. On, on top of that, uh, there are large swaths of population in the world, most of them contained in this rectangle on the map that you're seeing, uh, that are classified as unreached. They live in places where... Um, they will grow up, live and die, and outside of some intervention from the Lord, they will never be able to sit in a church and hear the gospel presented or talk to a Christian on the street or read the Bible in their language or something like that. And so over the past uh, five, six years, has been an interesting phenomenon that's occurring, um, which I think the Lord in his sovereignty about six months after we arrived in Italy this huge wave of migration broke loose, and the, the paths, the, the lines you see on this map are basically the routes people are taking from those, what we call the 1040 window countries, uh, and coming to Europe, coming to Italy. And so uh, many of these places that are unreached, we've had actually millions of them in the past five or six years come, hundreds of thousands every year, and uh, we we have kind of an, it's an overwhelming political issue and, as you can imagine, just a logistical issue. But above all that is God, who is sovereign, and um, places where it's very difficult or impossible to go and preach the gospel, 
uh, he has turned that upside down and is bringing those people to us. And he's doing the same thing in the, the states and other countries. Our major cities and sometimes our not-so-major cities are filled with people from places that have no access to the gospel. So uh, we have begun in Rome, but we really believe, as you'll see in our presentation, that uh, our vision goes beyond Rome, places like Paris, London. The major cities in Europe are very strategic in these last days for taking the gospel uh, to the people groups that have no access to the gospel. So we've begun in Italy, in Rome, and um, I always tell people this is our home church. Pastor, you probably recognize our home church here. And this is the Vatican, actually, not our home church. Um, but we've started there and been there seven years, and Christy's going to tell you a little bit about our day-to-day ministry there. Okay, the Agape Center is um, basically like a community center that we have close to the center of Rome, and we provide things that people need, like English lessons. Todd and I are the English teachers. We teach adults and children because a lot of the foreign children come through and uh, their parents want them to learn English, especially the Bangladeshi children. Uh, They're very keen on their children learning English and learning it well. And so we have benefited greatly because primarily we have Bangladeshi people who come into our center. And the Bangladeshi Muslims are the largest unreached people group in the world. So we have a great source here of people to reach. We also have uh, friends from our church. We, we have a church uh, close to Rome. And uh, those people volunteer to teach Italian in our center as well. And so when these uh, foreigners come into Italy, you can imagine they're a bit isolated because they do not know Italian. And so having the ability to learn that brings them more into the culture and, and enables them to, to adapt well and to integrate well into the culture of Italy. So we also, uh, besides English lessons and um, Italian lessons, children are offered ability to um, have help with their homework and things like that. And we're trying to meet basic needs of people, but opening the door for them to know Jesus, because the minute they walk into the Agape Center, they know that we are Jesus followers. And uh, they love us, we love them, and uh, they always, they come to us when they have needs. And we're showing them that Jesus is the one who is meeting our needs. And during the pandemic, we were shut down. So we have not been teaching at the center for over a year. We've been teaching online. But God opened many doors for us for ministries we we never dreamed of. So now we've received lots of clothing from other ministries. And we provide uh, days of clothing distribution for all of the, the people who come through our doors. Because... A lot of the foreigners who are working in Italy, they work in food industry, they work in tourism, and those things were completely shut down during the pandemic. We were shut down basically for two solid months or more with nothing going on except the essential businesses. So these people have great needs because in the Eastern culture, um, hospitality is very important and also honoring their families is very important. So whether they have money or not, they're coming up with money that they're sending back to their home countries, to their families, because they must also support them. So it's been very difficult, as you can imagine, just as it has been for us, but it's, it's really been a strain for them. 
And we also had um, clinics provided. We had doctors contact us and ask if they could come to our center and provide free medical care for those who had needs. And these are things like dentistry, eye care, ear, nose, and throat. And they hook up people with other doctors who can take care of them for free. For free. And then one of our biggest ministries has been the food distribution. And we started that last May. And we have delivered food to homes of about 36 different families every month since last May. And these people are receiving about 50 pounds of food. And there has been no money in our budget for this, but God has provided the money we needed every month that we could go to their homes and give them food. And they are welcoming us into their homes. These are Muslim and Hindu families primarily. They're from many different countries like Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, um, West Africa, and East Africa. And they're welcoming us in. We're building deeper relationships with them because of the pandemic. So God was not shaken by this. He was not caught off guard by the pandemic. In his sovereignty, he said, I have a new ministry for you to do. And this is going to make an impact on these people. The fathers often were unable to meet with them because they're at work. But this year, having no work, they were at home so Todd and, and our teammate Masoom, other men were able to connect with them. And often in these Muslim and Hindu homes, the father is going to be the first one to come to Christ. And uh, then the rest of the family will follow. So be praying for these families that God will show them who he is through this time, that they'll be empty without him and realize the void they have without Jesus. This lady here shot the She's from Bangladesh, and every time we do food distribution, she wants all of the teams. We may have four or five teams of three or four people going into the different homes, and she wants all of us, 10 to 15 of us, to come to her house and eat when we are finished with food distribution. I don't know how they can provide food for all of us, but they do. They must do this from their culture with such hospitality. They have to show us this hospitality. And they love doing it, too. And they're very appreciative of what they are receiving. And we always tell them when they're saying, thank you for this food, thank you, we are telling them that Jesus is the one who has provided the food for them. We also give them calendars. We give them um, gospel tracts. Some of them receive the gospel in their, in their language. And those calendars they've been receiving... When we go back the next month, we see that they are turning the pages of those calendars and using that scripture every day. Uh, this lady uh, comes from Albania. The teammate that was with us, she also comes from Albania, so she was able to make an, a connection with Dory. Uh, the first time we went last May, Dory started crying, and she said, I ran out of food today. I have no food in my house. And... Her son, she and her son were home alone because her husband had been taken away to jail because um, his paperwork was not finished. His immigration paperwork was not completed. And, of course, with COVID, everything was slow, but they still took him and put him in jail. And uh, she was very much afraid of COVID. And um, she's not yet a believer, but this ministered greatly to her to just know Jesus was thinking about you, and he brought you food on the day you had none left. Amen. This little girl's from Pakistan. She and her brother 
Uh, we take food to them regularly. They are uh, one family who uses the calendar every day. And uh, a lot of people send us food. When it's over, there's one particular man who, who prepares food for all of us. He's a chef by nature anyway. So he prepares food for all of us and then sends it to the center so that we can have a meal after we hand out food to everyone. Now this little boy, Shaban, he's from Pakistan. He um, was with us. I was his English teacher. Uh, just a brilliant young man, beautiful young man. His family uh, had to go back to Pakistan. They could not survive in Italy because of COVID. And the father went back and prepared the way for them. And uh, we went one last time, I think late March, we went uh, to give them food. And uh, the mama's so sweet. And uh, we asked about seeing Shaban because uh, my daughter and I were planning to leave um, early. We left the 15th of April to come back to, to the States. And we wanted to see Shaban one last time to tell him goodbye because we may never see him again um, on earth. <laughs> um, so she said, well, he'll be out of school about 2 o'clock. So we delivered food to more houses. And then we came back through, and he was walking on the road to go to his house. And um, she knew we were out there, so she was taking pictures of us, the mama. I, we, didn't, we weren't aware of this. Uh, but we were telling Shaban goodbye, and she took these pictures, and she sent them to our teammate, Masoom, because he's also Bangladeshi. She communicates a lot with him. Pakistanis can communicate with Bangladeshis. <laughs> and um, she said in her text to Masoom, she said, I have never seen uh, such love like this before. And um, she said, all of you have shown us such great love, and it's really touched our hearts. And uh, Masoom told her, he said, this love does not come from us, it comes from Jesus. And um, I wish I could say they left Italy as believers in Christ. They did not, as far as I know. But the seed has been planted. And that's our job, that we plant the seed. We're not the ones who save them, Jesus is. But Jesus led them there in Italy for that short time. And we have to trust that God will send others who will water the seed and others who will reap the harvest. So pray for Shaban and his family as they are back in Pakistan. This is a good friend of mine, Tazmin, and her daughter, Ohi. And they're a special couple of people. They're from Bangladesh. And um, Tazmin is, is a very serious English student. She's a very serious student of anything. But... Um, when the pandemic hit and we were shut down, she asked me if she could have personal lessons with me online for English. And I said, of course you can. So we, we started meeting every week online um, on video calls. And um, one time last April, over a year ago, she said, ma'am, I have a question for you. And I could tell it was going to be a deep question. And uh, she said, when we come into the center we see that you are always having joy, and we are not like that. And uh, she said, what is the difference between you and us? And so I was able to, to start from Adam and Eve and the fall of man, because we have to understand our fall before we understand we have a need for Jesus. We, we can't do this alone. And so I explained that to her. That's difficult for a Muslim to hear that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth to die for you. Um, I've shared that with her. I've shared with her on different occasions since. I sent her the Jesus film, clips from the Jesus film to her phone. 
uh, on a weekly basis. And you can do that in about 1,600 different languages from your phone. So she gets it in Bangla, and she can understand it very well. Um, I wish I could tell you that she's a believer, but not yet. I trust that God brought her into our lives and his sovereignty so that she could know who he is because Jesus has reckless love for her too, doesn't he, Kelly? That's right. And so we're trusting for Tazmin and her family, too, that they will know Jesus. That's what our, our um, laboring is for. Hmm. The Shalom House is uh, another place we rent uh, for, one, uh, for one. Our teammate, Masum, lives there. He's the one taking the selfie with the big smile. Um, he's a Muslim background believer from Bangladesh. And uh, we have lots of people who come to the Shalom House to say short-term or long-term. And they have various needs, various reasons for being there. As you can see, all of these people um, have come to stay in the Shalom House for one reason or another. Right now, we currently have this man, Arif. He's from uh, Afghanistan. Afghanistan. (laughs) He used to stay in Pakistan. But um, he is there. He's not a believer yet. But um, he attends our devotionals, our teachings. He sits and asks deep questions about heaven and hell. And... um, we are praying for him that he will know Jesus. He spends a lot of time with Masum. You can't spend much time with Masum without hearing about Jesus. And when he speaks to people, he uh, has such a heart for people. He's um, maybe an evangelist, and uh, people come to Christ when he spends time with them. So we're trusting that God has his eye on Arif as well. Um, we have people who come in. Uh, for, like I said, short term, we had two young women, one from England and one from Germany, who were just there for a few months. And we also have something we call the Apprenticeship in Mission. And that begins in um, September, and it runs through June. And um, people who are serious about the mission field, who are seriously considering uh, possibly becoming missionaries, uh, we invite them to come and stay with us. We teach them. We mentor them. They do ministry with us. They live life with us. And um, it's a good judge for them to see, is this the kind of life I want to live? Is this where God is leading me? And uh, if you know people who are interested in that, we have brochures out in the hallway. You can take them and uh, pray over that and see if this is right for you. And that's a a picture of our brochure. So in, in Rome, we have about probably three different classes of people that we minister to. Um, one are refugees who I mentioned have come by the millions to Europe in the past five years. Um, we've had in the center that Chrissy was talking about, we've had people from 63 different countries uh, pass through. So anywhere from Honduras to Japan, we've had people come from pretty much you know, lots of those countries in between. Um, and majority of these guys, they've never heard the gospel, uh, not even one time in their life. And so we spend a bit of Quite a bit of time on the streets. I hear Masum, our teammate, who also came to Europe as a Muslim and met Jesus. And we've discipled him, and he, he's become part of our team. He's, he's now actually, he, he was a Muslim from the largest unreached people group in the world. And now he's a missionary for Jesus. And that's really the heart, the core of what our vision is. And he's uh, undoubtedly going to reach many more people from South Asia than we will ever reach in other Muslim countries as well. But you know, th- that last guy was from West Africa. These guys, I just had coffee with them about a month ago, two months ago, from Iraq. Uh, we literally have the entire world with us, um, and majority of them are Muslims, although we do have some Hindu background people as well. 
And our goal is really this. We have a, a Wednesday night, normally before COVID anyway, uh, what we call a discovery Bible study. And our goal is really to get these people engaging in the Word of God, uh, ultimately in their own cultural context and their own language and all that. Um, but this is a, a Bible study here where we're basically going through the Gospel of John in a very unchurchy way with people who are Muslims, people who are atheists, people who are Hindus and Catholics. It makes for a very interesting Bible study. <laughs> you get some, you know, it's interesting to hear a, a Muslim correcting a cultural Christian African guy's understanding of, of Jesus. You know, it's just, it's very interesting dynamic. Um, but it's really kind of a method of discipling people to faith. You know, I don't know if you ever thought about there's, there's growth in the womb before a baby is actually born. I'll just kind of leave that there. But the point is, it's a process, you know, for, especially for Muslims and Hindus uh, to come to faith. So I think this past year we've learned a lot about viruses, unfortunately. We know a lot about viruses now. Um, but, you know, in the New Testament, what we really see in the book of Acts really is a viral Christianity that just spread from person to person. And it wasn't confined to uh, a structure. It wasn't confined to a certain group. It just spread like, like COVID has done in the past year. It's estimated by some that in 15 years, Paul and his teams uh, preached the gospel to nearly 30 million people. Now, that's without transportation, Facebook, or anything else. You know, just person-to-person viral Christianity. Um, our prayer is that has been our vision from the beginning even that the hub in Rome, it's not just about Rome, it's not just about Italy and the people there, but that God would use that uh, to take the gospel through the back doors into some of these places that we either can't get to or it's very difficult to get to. And so you've heard Christy mention a lot of our friends from Bangladesh who've come to the center. Um, Masum is on the right here, our teammate. The guy in the middle was just baptized in Rome about two years ago. He came to our center a few times. Uh, he is Masun's disciple, so another generation uh, of believers being born. And he was uh, born again, I should say. He was baptized in, our, in Italy in our Italian church, and this is his family. He's working in Italy, uh, went back to see his family just before COVID hit. And again, you know, things that the devil, it seems that the devil uses or tries to use for harming us. God turns those things and uses them to further his causes. And so Brother uh, Dominic was stranded in Bangladesh with his family for over a year. Um, But what he did was he began to invite people to his house somewhere in the village in Bangladesh to read the gospel together. And they continued to gather until we had about, we have two different groups of about 20 to 25 people now meeting um, these, these are people from Muslim background, Hindu background, and Catholic background. Um, but Brother Dominic is multiplying, and now we have uh, a fourth generation of people coming into the picture. This brother in, in the sunglasses, uh, his name is Rajip. Rajip is one of our, we'll call him a leader, although he's a very young, very newborn Christian. Uh, but you know what I'm discovering? I, I've you know, been to seminary and been in missions many years. Studied a lot of things about church planting. Um, But evidently, when people have the Word of God and believe what it says, and they have the Holy Spirit, that's enough. 
you know. I mean, we can add a whole bunch of stuff on top of that. I'm not against methodologies and whatever, but it, this was almost a surprise to us. Like, we have church, house churches multiplying in Bangladesh. Praise God. That's awesome. You know? I really didn't do much of anything besides, you know, we discipled Masum and invested in him, and he won someone, and he won someone, and, and that's the way viral Christianity works. And so these guys are sitting somewhere in the, uh, in the village in Bangladesh. They have signs that say, Jesus loves me, and he's my savior. And some Bible verses. And so from this uh, people group, the Bangladeshi Muslims, um, you know, they're, Christy mentioned, they're 160 million strong. They're, there are tens of thousands of them in New York City and Chicago and all over the U.S. and U.K. and other places. Um, they are classified as 0.0% Christian, officially. So there are so few believers among them that they don't even register on the percentages. Um, but here's another believer from the Bengali Muslim people group. His name is Saddam. And Masum won him to Christ over the phone. He's complete, he reminds me of the Ethiopian in Acts 8. Like, you know, Philip witnessed to him, won him, and then he took off. He was gone. He was by himself. And they credited him with making Ethiopia more of a Christian nation instead of the Islamic nations around it. And so we have a handful of people who have come to faith from these backgrounds, from these people groups. Many of them have not yet been baptized, uh, which for an uh, Islamic background person, a Muslim person, um, you know, if you were to hear, I'm working on a video of Muslim's testimony that I'll send to you. I want you guys to hear that. But when you hear a Muslim speak about their faith, they will talk about their baptism, like when I was baptized. And at first glance, you may think, well, does he think that baptism saves him? Or he's kind of equating that awful closely with um, his salvation. But for a Muslim background person, I think we may have shared this picture last time we were here because um, it was maybe just had just happened. This young man from Iran was baptized in about two and a half years ago in Rome. He came as a student uh, from a very staunchly Islamic country. And when he was baptized, um, he, he was very excited about that. Um, and he sent his pictures to his family in Iran who were, they're kind of, you know, there's a process we're seeing that when people get fed up with Islam, they become kind of functional atheists, but culturally still Muslim. And when, they, when they've made that shift, they're much more open to uh, the gospel because they've already taken a step away from uh, this guy used to be a pretty hardcore Muslim, you know. And so he came to faith, was baptized, sent his pictures, these pictures to his mother. Uh, the government of his country intercepted those through the, the messaging app that he was using. And he, after that, was uh, summoned. He was in Italy with us, but he was summoned to um, court. Um, he obviously didn't show up, but in his absence, they sentenced him to uh, 25 years in prison, and 285 lashings. I'm not sure how they carry that out, if it's with cane or a rod or something. But um, So many people in Iran, number, number one, there was a great awakening happening in Iran, which you, if you haven't heard about it, you should look it up, because in the past 20 years or so, uh, more people have come to Christ in Iran than in the previous 1,900 years. So I know the only thing you ever hear about Iran is we, death to America, we hate America. You'd be better off to turn the news off 
and, uh, and see what God is doing around the world. Because we get into all the politics and the, well, they shouldn't, he shouldn't. But, you know, God brought this young man and Masum and others to Europe to introduce them to the gospel. And they also stole his, this young man's life savings as well from his bank account. So uh, he's, he now lives in Sweden, which is a northern country in Europe, far north. Uh, these are other Iranian believers that I met when I was there not too long ago. And we're wanting to see uh, house churches, these type of fellowships, begin among Iranians. And there's a lot of Somalians and Afghanis and other groups in Sweden as well. So um, some about a year ago or so, this, this young brother that was baptized in Rome, he wrote me and said, um, you know, I've started a Bible study with some of my friends back in Iran, and we, we meet virtually uh, every week and study the gospel, study the gospel of John, I think it was. And um, this is a brother, Hussein, who's sending greetings to our home church in Proctorville. Um, and so I asked uh, our brother, I said, oh, that's great. How many people are coming to the study? And he said, about 40. I was like, well, number one, 40 people walk into a house once a week in a place where it's illegal to have a Bible study. We maybe need to talk a little bit about... Um, how we go about that, what our methods might be. Uh, we're working on that still. But imagine if coming here this morning could potentially cost you imprisonment, your life, or the government take your entire life savings and just wish, wish it away. Um, that's what these people are, are submitting to, to come and learn about Jesus. So we got a call back in <clears throat> September about this brother here in the middle. Um, his name is Faech. You have to kind of hack at the end when you say his name. But um, he also had been summoned. He'd been coming to our Bible study for some time, and he also was summoned to court. Um, he went to court the first appearance because he's in Iran. He's not outside of Iran. He didn't have much of a choice. Um, and so but some, somehow they gave some kind of a preliminary hearing, and they don't really have to have any evidence or any proof that you really did anything wrong if you, you know, if you, are a Christian, that's the only evidence they need. And baptisms, baptism is what they recognize as the point at which you changed your religion. And so um, I, I heard words that I, I've never heard in 30 years of doing missions. I uh, hope I don't have to hear them again. But uh, these two brothers, Hussein and, and Michael, they told us we need to get some money together to smuggle him out of the country. I thought, wow. <laughs> Okay. I didn't really pray about it, think about it. is this even, I guess, you know, they dropped Paul over the wall in the basket. I guess that was kind of a smuggling operation. Um, but literally his life was at stake. You know, he could go to prison and we'd never see him again. And so he, you know, we got the money together and this is a picture of them getting ready to cross the border. He went into the Iraqi part, uh, the rough part of Iraq that's called Kurdistan. And um, I want to come back to this in a minute when I give a short message at the end. Uh, but, you know, these, these are young men in their 20s. And, you know, saying, yes, I'll, I want to follow Jesus, it's not a, a game. It's not, it's not a joke. It's not something that you kind of half-heartedly, you know, they know if they, if they go into the water and publicly proclaim, I'm leaving this religion, this dead works religion, and I'm following Jesus, 
You know, the name that we sung about this morning is above every other name. Um, it has a huge, huge price tag. And I'll come back to talk more about that in a moment. But Chris is going to share a bit about the future here with you. We would like to begin a ministry to university students. Many of them uh, come in from foreign countries, and they actually study in English. And so their Italian might not be that good. They might be a bit isolated, not knowing Italian yet. And so we would like to um, get with these young people and start Discovery Bible studies with them. It's uh, an effective way to know Jesus and to learn English or, or to, to participate in English, but also to get them um, integrated better. Um, we also would like to start more English fellowships, and this could also apply to Italian people. Uh, they could start attending our, our Bible studies. And uh, we do have a church in Tiburtina that is in an area of Rome who is interested in starting fellowships with us. This would be a great way to continue um, spreading the gospel to Italians and to foreigners. And we would also like to build our team. We are desperately in need of building up our team. There are just three of us so far. And uh, the Lorefice family, Daniele, Feliciana, and Diletta, they're an Italian family who live in Rome right now. They want to work with us for a couple of years. And after that, they will be moving up to Milan to continue this hub-type ministry in Milan. Also, the uh, McComb family, this is Colin and Gail and their three girls, they're from Canada. They're currently raising support, which has been difficult during COVID, and they hope to come and visit us for a survey trip in the fall for a few weeks and then come back to Canada, raise money, and hopefully be able to, to make it to Italy in the next year or two. And once we build up our team and have people taking over the work in Rome, we plan to, to move on and, and start another hub somewhere else in Europe. Yeah, so speaking of that, uh, we're praying, actively praying for about new teams. And I'll tell you a little more about that. Um, beginning new hubs because the refugees, the migrants that are coming, they're all over Europe, you know. It's like uh, the fish are biting in all these spots and we only have, we're only, you know, in one fishing hole uh, trying to catch some, and so we hope to expand that and continue to build our network because uh, the nature of migrant work is they don't just come to Italy and then stay. They'll, they'll be in Rome for a while, and then they're in Paris or London or something else, and so trying to build a net. We have people already, like Chrissy mentioned, who've gone back to Pakistan or they've moved on to, to London or Sweden or whatever, um, and it's very easy to move within Europe uh, for us, you know, very inexpensive, and, and also training the leaders. And these guys who are in... It's a challenge. During COVID, it was impossible, but these guys who are in Iran and Bangladesh and they're leading house churches, they're brand new believers, um, and we do need to give them some training, some follow-up, some discipleship. Um, but this is what the Lord has already done, and we rejoice in this. You know, we planted the first hub in Rome, and we've seen, we now have people who are in Sweden. Uh, we have house churches meeting, 40-some uh, people in Iran. We have the two groups in Bangladesh. We continue to have a pretty large discipleship network in North India that we started when we were working here uh, at the church in Ohio. Um, but this is what we want to see, the, the, the gospel go viral. And so one of the next places we're praying about is Milan in the northern part of Italy. It's very strategic. Lots of nations are there. And the, the family, the Italian family that we just showed you, are praying about going there in the next couple of years. Uh, also Cologne, Germany is a place that we have some people on the ground already that have spent time with us short term, 
We're hoping to build a team uh, in that area, which is really full of migrants, and also uh, Paris, France. Now, these are just the next few places that we're praying about, but ultimately our vision over the next 10 years is this, that God will continue to uh, plant works in strategic places throughout Europe. Um, we've seen so much happen out of what we've been sowing and watering in in Italy, that as we continue to expand and plant works where God leads us, those stars are just suggestions. I'm sure the Lord will surprise us as we go uh, further along. That's the vision, that um, we want to be reaching migrants in many strategic places throughout Europe. But this is kind of our North Star, the verse that keeps us aligned uh, in our lives. And I'll have Christy read that for you as we finish up. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And I love that. Salvation to our God. These tribes are now included uh, in that same family, our God. So, um, yeah, I'm going to share. If you get your Bibles, you can open to Matthew 16 with me real quickly. Uh, if you want to know anything else about what's going on in Italy, we have our prayer cards. You can sign up for our email list. We have a private Facebook group that you can message me about. Um, we have information about our apprenticeship and different things out in the, the lobby there. Feel free to, to see us out there after the service. If you would, uh, open your Bibles to Matthew 16. I just want to tie this together with a short message, and we, sh- we sure do appreciate your partnership with us, um, because these things would not be possible without people like you praying. Um, you know, our, our prayer is that in the near future we'll have some of you guys come and join us and get your hands dirty uh, in Italy with us a little bit, doing ministry together. Um, because the, the fields are ripe in the harvest, and I really believe that, you know, uh, Masum, who is part of our team, you know, him saying yes to Jesus and being baptized and following the Lord uh, cost him everything. His family has completely forsaken him. Um, uh, the brother from Iran, Michael, following Jesus and saying yes to Jesus, it cost him everything. His family didn't disown him, but he lost pretty much earthly, everything that, um, that he had up to that point. And I wanted to call your attention to the 16th chapter of Matthew. I'm going to read it from my phone, actually, because a different translation. But, you know, in verse 21 and following, just after Jesus makes the, the question to his, disciple, to his disciples about who he is, and Peter gives the right answer, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus commends him, saying, you know, heaven and earth have revealed, have revealed this to you. Um, just after that, Jesus, in verse 21, begins to uh, talk about suffering. From that time, it says, he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. And Peter, who just gave this great answer, now comes back with this. In verse 22, uh, he takes Jesus aside, you know, to correct him. Actually, it says he rebukes him. He began to rebuke him and says, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen. 
Like, no way, man, this is not gonna, it's not going to go down like that. You know, we're, he's thinking triumphant and, you know, Jesus uh, being the king, the Messiah, all of that. And Jesus turns around to him and says, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but of things of men. The, you know, if you ever want to see a, an about face and, uh, you know, one side, Jesus, you're, or Peter, you're blessed. God has revealed this to you, and now it's like, get behind me, Satan. And, the, you know, that, that quick, a real change in perspective. And so then Jesus goes on, and this is mirrored in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, uh, verse 24. He turned to his disciples and he said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each one according to his works. And so, you know, this call to the gospel, um, the call that Jesus gave here, um, you know, it's sobering to us, uh, Christy and I, as we minister to, you know, these people from Muslim backgrounds and, um, you know, much of, much of what we hear preached in, in America, um, not in this church, thank God, um, it, it would have no value to the people that we're uh, ministering to. A gospel that says, okay, you say yes to Jesus, man, everything, everything's going to be great. You're never going to have a health problem. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be pro- all these things, which I think is an alteration of the gospel. You know, it's not the true gospel. Um, so, you know, there is nothing else to say when you're talking to a Muslim young man. And he says, okay, if I get baptized... My mother and father, like our teammate Masoom, if he were in Bangladesh, their solution to him bringing shame on the family <clears throat> because he's converted to Christianity, uh, the solution to getting rid of that shame on the family would be to kill him, an honor killing. That's exactly what they would do if he were living in Bangladesh. His father actually is an imam, a very high-ranking imam. And so, you know, a gospel that, a false gospel that talks about temporal benefits of following Jesus, which there are many, you know, they're not in my bank account necessarily, they're not necessarily material things, um, it's really of no value. But the things that we sung about earlier today, that there's one name that's higher than every other name, and his name is worthy he is worthy. It's, it's Jesus. He is the treasure in the field. That when you find it, man, I'll sell everything else. Take my family. Take my money. Beat me 285 times with a stick and throw me in prison. But if I have Jesus, I'm going to be okay. Because he is greater than anything else. You know, we live under a deception uh, that 
you know, all the stuff in our lives is really what makes, makes things worth it. And we sometimes get mad at God when we don't have the stuff that we need, you know? And, and we just, and that's, Jesus, when he called people to follow him, he told them oftentimes, like the rich young ruler, get rid of the stuff. If it's in your way, your Hebrew says, every weight, cast it aside. Not just sin. Yes, obviously sin. But if it's a, if it's a weight that's keeping me from running the race in front of me, get rid of it. Jesus looked at the rich young ruler with love, the Bible says, and he says, you know what? You said you followed all the commands, but here's, here's the thing that you lack. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. He said that to him in love. Why would he say that? Because the stuff was in the way. The, the stuff had become the idol um, in their lives. And so as we minister to these young men and, and women, you know, from a Muslim back, background, if, if the gospel, if, if following Jesus isn't better, you know, now and after I die, than anything this world has to offer, then there's nothing to pull a person to that. But thank God it is better. It is of more value to follow Jesus, even, even if it's accompanied with loss and heartache and those type of things. Jesus, um, further on in this passage or in another passage, if I'm not remembering correctly, you know, when Peter, uh, I think it's the rich young ruler passage, when Peter says, well, Lord, we've left everything to follow you, so what about us? Jesus said anyone who forsakes their their father and their mother and their houses, and their, he goes through this whole list to follow me. Um, he will have much more in this life and in the life to come. But what we found is when we, ask, when we invite a, a Muslim person to follow Jesus, we also have to be willing to be their family because they're going to lose it all. And there may be people in our community here that if they leave the lifestyle they're living or the, their go against their family to follow Jesus as our culture becomes more and more antagonistic against Christianity. There may be people who have to pay a great cost as well to follow Jesus. And if they can't find family in the church among God's people, then where are they going to find it, you know? Masum has become, you know, our third son. And it's a, it's a blessing. And that's his, you know, God says, Masum, you follow me. Your mom and dad are going to forsake you, but I'll give you more family. You've got fa- he's got family all around the world now that he's never, never even met. I don't know if you've seen, um, I was really touched by something um, that I read. I actually saw the video of this girl who sung on America's Got Talent last week. Whew, man. Um, now, I saw her sing, and, I mean, it was really touching. She's had cancer and, uh, you know, look, doesn't look very healthy. But uh, she sang, and Simon Cowell was just, like, beside himself, you know. Gave her the, what, the golden buzzer or whatever that thing is when they go directly to the, uh, to the end. Um, then I, I saw some posts about her. She calls herself Nightbird, which I'm not sure why she calls herself that. But it says she used to be a worship leader. And she graduated from Liberty. 
Um, and I'm just going to read you a little bit of this and, and tie this up real quick. Um, she said, after the doctor told me that I was dying, and after the man that I married said he didn't love me anymore, I chased a miracle in California, and 16 weeks later, I got it. The cancer was gone, but when my brain caught up with it all, something broke. I later found out that the tragedy at once had caused a physical head trauma. I'm not exactly sure what she's talking about. And my brain was sending false signals of excruciating pain and panic. She said, I am God's downstairs neighbor banging Sorry, <laughs> banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. And I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, and questions. Sometimes I use my key under the mat, let myself in. And other times I, I sulk outside until he opens the door to me. I've called him a cheat and a liar, and I've meant it. I've told him. I've told him that I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer that I know, and prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms, and they fall to the ground as I reach for him. And these are the prayers that I repeat night and day, sunrise and sunset. She writes, call me bitter if you want to. That's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. For I've seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale and laid in his shadow and squinted to read the message that he wrote for me on the ground. I'm sad too. Yeah, you need to look this up, but let me just skip a little bit further ahead. She says, I look for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh for me each morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means, what is it? That's the same question I keep asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees, in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I ask for, but... It's mercy nonetheless. And I learned a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer that I don't mean yet, but I will repeat it until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, and sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I'm the one whose belly is filled with the loaves of mercy that were hidden for me. 
And even on the days when I'm not sick, sometimes I go and lay on the mat in the afternoon light and listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is there even now. I've, I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And it's true. Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. Underneath her picture on this post on Facebook where people are praying for her, it just says this. Jesus is worth whatever you are scared of losing. Jesus is worth whatever you're scared of losing. And that's the kind of Jesus that we have to present to Muslim people because they're going to lose everything if they follow him. And imagine... If I say yes to Jesus and get baptized, I'll never have another Thanksgiving dinner with mom and dad. I'll never talk to them again on the phone. I'll never be with them at Christmas. They'll never talk to me again. They wish I was dead. But if I get Jesus, it's worth it. It's worth it. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow after me. You know, if you can't see God, I think like Nightbird says, look lower because he's, he's down there with us in the mess, you know? And he's worthy. He's worthy of everything. I don't know anyone who regrets it, you know, saying yes to Jesus, regardless of the cost that's involved. He's worth it. Let's pray together, and I'll call you up, Pastor. Father, uh, thank you for this morning. Um, thank you for this young lady whose testimony has deeply touched me. Thank you for the young men and women uh, who are saying yes to Jesus around the world at a great cost to themselves. And they're embracing the cross. They're embracing the sacrifice because... They've caught a glimpse of the treasure in the field, and they know that that treasure is worth it. It's worth it all. And Jesus, you are that treasure. You are that treasure. Forgive me, Lord, for not valuing you as that treasure. And help us, Lord, as your people to live tomorrow morning at work like you're that treasure. And this afternoon in the restaurant and wherever we go. And God, for those that may be in this room who've never acknowledged Jesus as that treasure and said yes to him, God, may you speak love to them and draw them to yourself. And may they realize that Jesus is worthy of whatever we're scared of losing if we say yes to him. And I pray this in his holy name. Amen. I don't think anything else needs to be said. I'm not one to...
preach a message on a message. Um, if you haven't seen the video and read that article, you ought to go look it up this afternoon. It's worth the time and the read. Just the fact that her testimony touched Simon Cow and those in the audience was sufficient. Um, we in the West have a cushy church and we promote it and don't realize what the rest of the world really has to deal with and my fear and prayer is that it doesn't happen um, but we're on the verge of seeing the church in the states persecuted folks and it's only going to be by the grace and mercy of God and the prayers of God's people that that doesn't happen let's stand you have a need this morning you've never trusted Christ you don't know for sure that your home in heaven is secure you have a heartfelt prayer that you need to come to this altar this morning and spend some time um, please feel welcome to do that Todd said he felt free. The overwhelming comment by every pastor, preacher, evangelist, missionary, and visitor that comes to this church is, I felt the Spirit of God, and I felt loved. And I can tell you that's my prayer, that you feel the ease come to this altar and someone will show you from the Bible how you can trust Christ if you don't know him my prayer is God have your way and you respond this morning according to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about as Marty sings or whoever